Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. So at the end of last week's episode, uh, going into this week, I said maybe the Habs will go 0-5. And, and you said, no, maybe they'll go 5-0. And you were closer to being right. They won four out of five games this week, uh, several of them in quite convincing fashion. Others, such as last night's, not so much. But uh, some people are kind of, uh, you know, maybe a little back on board with this team. Maybe... Making the playoffs after all, so only seven points out. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing with the season, right? It's so long, you'll see your ups and downs. But, you know, personally, uh, this little heater, I don't know about you, but it doesn't really move the needle as much, you know? Uh, it's four out of five wins. Uh, they didn't look, they look very well, uh, very good in some games, but it's just, you know, it really doesn't compensate for uh, two eight game losing streaks. And, uh, but the, the, admittedly, the Habs look good. But when I look at the standings, you know, it's just I think we're starting to see a clearer and clearer divide uh, between the playoff teams, contenders, uh, and the have-nots. Obviously, anybody can go on a heater at any time, uh, but I don't know. I just it, it just I think it's just one of those ebbs and flows. I think the Habs are kind of hitting a peak. Uh, what do you think? Um, you that is probably the most the, the logical answer. But uh, too bad. Uh, I want to make the playoffs now. Uh, total change from. Exactly, from eight days ago. Uh, I want them to go on a run. I think if they win, like, uh, three out of every four games for the rest of the season, which is a lot, they would make the playoffs with, like, somewhere in the high 90s in points. And in the Atlantic that this year, that would probably be enough. Uh, but I don't care. I think they can do it, uh, especially if they're starting to get healthy. Joel Armia's back, and you forgot how, how important he was to the team when he was healthy. Ilya Kovalchuk is, is Gretzky all of a sudden, or, you know, 2009 Ilya Kovalchuk once again and uh yeah so these players are going to start coming back Druan might be back after the all-star break Gallagher hopefully I don't know Paul Byron too is still out so so I my a little bit of my my faith has been restored over the past five games well I, I'm I'm personally shocked you seemed really uh down on your luck when it came to the halves last week uh a complete 180 I see uh for me I don't yeah. know. I'm still in tank mode, personally. Uh, I think I think the season's over, uh, if you ask me. I mean, six points out of the race. Uh, and, like, what are you going to do? Catch the Maple Leafs? I just, I, do, I just don't really see. And even the Maple Leafs right now, uh, we'll get into the standings as we usually do later, but they're not even in a playoff spot currently. And so, you know, the Habs, do you really see them winning three out of four games for the rest of the season? Like, uh, uh, like I, obviously, I we can hope, but, like, it's just... Yeah, do you expect? No, do you I do think not expect even, to uh, Okay, so so give it a percentage, like uh, you know that 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 they'll, they'll go on a run right now. Uh, if I had to pin odds to them making the playoffs, uh, about ten percent, which I think is is right around where most of the projections have them now. After this this good week, it was up from about five percent last week to about ten percent now. So uh, and it feels it feels better, it feels a lot better, twice as much. Are you kidding? Double the percentage. Yeah. Five to ten percent. Okay, okay, calm down yeah, a little great. bit. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see what happens. I think the, the Habs are going into a, a, a bye. If I'm uh, not mistaken, they don't play until the twenty yeah. seventh. And so, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, how the standings shake up, and uh, you know, we can take a, a bit of a spectator role as Habs fans and see, you know, 
what teams uh, get hot during this bye week. And so you want to get into the, the specific of uh, particular games that happened this week? Yeah, all right. So the first one, long time ago, eight days ago, was a 2-1 win over the Ottawa Senators on Hockey Night in Canada. 2-1 in overtime, which was Ilya Kovalchuk's first goal with the Habs was the, the overtime winner. Snipe off the rush. Feels like a really long time ago now, especially considering he's had He's had three goals since then. He's been such a such a fantastic revelation. And if they have are still out of the playoff race at the trade deadline, which I mean is quite a possibility, uh, I think or most people are thinking. Chris Johnson was mentioning yesterday on the broadcast that they'd probably try to trade him, and they could definitely get some pretty good value for him considering how he's playing now. But there's kind of, there's a very significant portion of the fan base, or from what I've seen, that would possibly rather that they extend him for one more year next year considering how well he's fit in and how well everyone seems to love him yeah i i when it comes to that kind of thing uh personally i prefer that they trade him away because look when are you gonna get assets for for a guy like kovalchuk we just signed off the street for league minimum uh and so i think that would be the best case scenario especially if you can get it in a good haul i mean look we said it was a, a no risk uh uh, signing and it, it's really absolutely exploded. He's absolutely exploded, uh, and it's a great signing for Bergevin. So maybe he can, you know, make something out of nothing. I think that'd be probably the best case scenario. Uh, when it comes to an extension, you'd, you'd have to think, you know, like you you got to go one year, right? I don't know if oh, yeah. he'll be asking oh, yeah. for, but if he, if he anything more than one year, I'm absolutely totally uncomfortable with that. And uh, you know, when it comes to uh, you know cap it. I, I don't think I'm I'm uh, down to go over what one one and a half million dollars, uh, because honestly this guy yeah sure he's he's been on a bit of a hot stretch but we'll see if he can keep it up obviously but uh, I I just he's nothing more than a depth player to me I don't I, I don't think he's uh, anything close to top six at this point in his career uh, and so uh, yeah I mean look preferably they trade him away if they can get a good haul but if and, and I think there'll be a market for a guy like Kovalchuk, especially like who can score goals. Uh, and he's got fresh legs because he didn't play for a large chunk of the season. Uh, I, I think there'll be a market for him. But if there happens to be, uh, if Bergman can't get a trade done, uh, I certainly wouldn't be expo- uh, opposed to a uh, one-year, uh, very low cap hit signing. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I generally I would uh, I would think trading him is the better option, as long as they're not in the in the playoffs. Um, not only for all the reasons you mentioned, also they really do. When healthy, which they are now, have an, have an excess on the wing, an abundance of wingers. Everyone they have, you know, Gallagher, Tatar, uh, who some people are still want to trade for some reason. Uh, you know, Drew and Byron, Lekin and Armia, everyone. And Cole Caulfield next year will probably be on the team too. So I just don't see there being any room for Kovalchuk. I don't see there really being a fit there beyond this season with all the injuries. Yeah, absolutely. I think this Habs forward core... Uh, it's totally underrated, uh, especially since like half of them got half of the top nine got wiped out with injuries. Uh, I think, to be totally honest, I think this this forward group is stacked, uh, especially around the wings. But even at center, I think as a whole, there's lots of depth. And uh, you know, a guy like Kolchak, if you can get assets for him, and uh, I think he's pretty replaceable on this team. He's not uh, extremely valuable by any stretch of the imagination. I think if you can get a, a solid return at the trade deadline, uh, absolutely, I think it's the best course of action at this point. And uh, hopefully Bergevin can get it done. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just really happy for uh, you know Kovalchuk and the team and and Bergevin, Obviously, I mean, what a, what a fantastic signing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been so much fun watching him just come on board and immediately breathe a new life into the team with with how you know such such great energy he brings and how much everyone loved loved him right away. I think he like, I don't think we mentioned after they signed him, he gave Brett Kulak a Rolex for letting him take his number seventeen. 
Then after one of the games, he took the entire team out to dinner. It's great. Everyone loves him. So much fun. Yeah, and you can see the energy he brings to the ice and the just the enthusiasm. Uh, like you just see just a pure joy when he scores those goals. Uh, even yeah. last night when he scored against Vegas, uh, in his absolute snipe uh, that we mentioned against Ottawa in overtime, I think he's just uh, yeah, he's just he brought he's brought you know fresh legs, fresh energy. Uh, I think he's he's uh, you know just motivated, uh, which he wasn't in LA. I think he's because uh, he's really playing for uh, you know his NHL career right now. Because as they said. Uh, when they sign him, Bergevin said, you know, they'll give him 10 games. If it doesn't work out, they'll just send him to the AHL. And, uh, you know, that's it for uh, Ilya Kovalchuk. But, and, and I think that shows uh, he just he's just brought a whole new level of his game. And uh, just mm-hmm. recently, just you know, looks like Kovalchuk uh, circa 2009 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I was at, um, on Monday, I was actually at the, uh, the Flames game. We can move on to that one. Uh, I, I was there live. They won two to nothing. And even though the the score, of the shot counter might not show it, I've been to to quite a few Canadians games actually. This one might have been their as a team their best performance. I f- it felt like they had possession of the puck the entire time. They were in the Flames end for the entire time, and that the zero for the the Flames kind of kind of shows that. Uh, I don't know what what were uh, some of your impressions from the game. Then I can maybe dive into my experience a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I just thought it was, uh, you know, an overall very, very, very good t- team win. And I just thought, you know, there was, uh, we've seen a lot of mental lapses uh, over the course of the year with the Habs. It just seems that their confidence uh, can get very, very brittle. Uh, we'll talk about how that might have that might have showed against Vegas last night. But uh, I just think that uh, they just avoided those mental lapses uh, and they, they come out of it with a 2 nothing win. And I could see and you could see what kind of a team that, that this can be if really everything works out. Uh, and they can get their head right and, uh, you know, avoid those awful mental lapses that we see, you know, quite frequently this year. I think that's been the downfall uh, for the Habs in a lot of their games where they've absolutely just blown uh, third-period leads and whatnot. But I think they they held steady. Uh, and, yeah, it was just – they just looked dominant against Calgary. We've seen games where they've been dominant and they haven't gotten any points to show for it. And I think this is the best-case scenario where you're absolutely dominant uh, and you come out with a shout-out and against a playoff team in Calgary. And so – uh, what stood out to you yeah. when uh, you were at the game live there? Yeah, so uh, well, well, you did talk about the uh, the lack of mental lapses. I don't know if you remember; they actually came came pretty close to a, a disaster in the second period. There was a delayed penalty against the Flames, so Carey Price was on his way to the bench. And the Canadian, the kind of thing you really don't see that often. Uh, the Canadian made some sort of pass back to the point in the offensive zone, and it misfired, and it went back, and it came very close to uh, to an own goal on the empty net on the delayed penalty. You really don't see that kind of thing that often. And it came very close. The entire arena, you could feel it tense up for a second. It was, it was crazy. If you had seen something like that happen live, well, and uh, it's crazy. And another, the other moment that really sticks out from that game is Ryan Paling's first goal of the season. Very nice goal because I don't, I don't know if you remember the, the play. He was kind of alone in front of the net uh, for like, felt like a really long time. Might have been a, a couple seconds of, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Then it happened, his first goal of the season, finally, after he had one called back against Carolina on New Year's Eve, after that obviously that hat trick uh, at the end of last season. So that was nice. Uh, big moment. Uh, big moment live. And uh, at the end of the game, when the Flames pulled their goalie, he kind of looked for a second that uh, that Price was kind of, you know, eyeing the empty net. He had a chance. I actually yelled shoot at one point when the puck came to him. But uh, no carry Price empty netter, so... So that was a great experience, great game for for the team. Not a very good performance for the the Flames. 
yeah, so that was that was uh, their second game in a row at that point. And uh, maybe seeing them live, seeing how well they played played live, is something that's kind of played into how how I'm kind of kind of back in on the playoff push. Okay. Uh, well, uh, if that that contributed one way uh, and brought your optimism up, uh, you know what certainly brought my uh, my take on this whole season was the next game against Chicago. Uh, oh yeah. A, a team that a team that has actually been uh, pretty resurgent recently, but still uh, a basement team, if you ask me now. Uh, and they looked absolutely dead on the ice. I mean, there was just... Honestly, you know, after that game, I thought maybe there's more of an argument uh, to, to Claude Julien being fired only because uh, if there's one thing we can testify uh, for Julien having an absolute, you know, for, for mastering is getting his team to play night in, night out with just great effort. Uh, and I think it just totally evaporated for some reason against Chicago. Uh, it just they 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 didn't look like they were they were putting in the effort uh, and it showed and they lost four to one uh, and they frankly got dominated by a team mm-hmm. that they should not be dominated against and we talked about we've talked about uh, playing down to the competition this year and it just seems that this is just another example you're coming off a win where you beat a playoff team uh, you dominate them you shut them out uh, as you said and uh, they just they look dead and they and they did not deserve to win that game in the least and they weren't close to. Yeah, I don't know if you, you Zach Smith had a two goal game for the Blackhawks. I don't know if you remember this from last year. I think it was the start of last season. The Senators placed Zach Smith on waivers, and he cleared. And it was kind of the main. I don't think they sent him to the minors after that. But whoever I Pierre Dorian said, got to send a message to the to the team. No one's job is safe. You know, they, obviously they ended up bottom bottoming out that that year because they weren't very good. Still not very good. The the Senators, but. Early on in that season, when the Senators played the Canadians, Max Domi was seen uh, mouthing waivers at Zach Smith. Do you remember that? No, I don't. But you don't remember? Sure. You, I don't remember was that kind of mocking him. Uh, no, that, that's the guy. Who, that's the guy who cleared waivers. That, he was making fun of him. And uh, yeah, so someone pointed that out. I, I and then I remembered it. Zach Smith scoring uh, two against the Canadians might have a little bit of a, a grudge there. Just kind of stings a little bit extra when Zach Smith scores. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Dude. Zach Smith, you hate it when these no-name guys score, right? Like it's freaking Zach Smith. He scores two goals yeah. on you. Doesn't feel great, you know. I feel like there was a run, like during the first eight game losing streak, where it felt like every night someone was scoring their first career goal or first goal of the season against the Canadians. And Eric Robinson, the Blue Jackets, at one point where like all his first three career goals were against the Canadians, something like that. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's like it's playing down to the competition, right? Whether it's playing down to the competition or your players, uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe they're just not taking them seriously, or just they're just playing poorly uh, as a whole. It's just it's it's not great. It's a terrible look, and uh, it's really demoralizing for a team that you know we've seen their confidence uh, take a lot of hits. Uh, and you play a game against Chicago, you play a game against Detroit, uh, and you get absolutely dominated. Not a great look. Uh, and those points, if you want to make a playoff push, if you want to hit that ten percent. Uh, it's these kind of games where you're going to look down the road and you're going to be like, God damn it. Uh, we're talking right now. Uh, you win the Detroit games, you're only two points out of a playoff spot, right? So it's just, yeah, these, these, these sting. These losses yep. sting. And especially when you look as bad as they did last night, or not last night, but uh, against Chicago. Yeah, another thing from that game, Charlie Lindgren looked pretty out of place. And I've been I've been a supporter of Charlie Lindgren for basically his whole tenure. He, he, he looked great in... His first NHL game, whatever, like almost four years ago, 
And he's he's been pretty good at the NHL level, been great in the preseason when he's played. But uh, I don't know, some, he was totally off that game. Maybe it was something to do with his equipment. You know, you saw the sequence on the Debrinket goal where his stick came out of his hands and his blocker came off, and it was just total total mess. But he, even besides that, something he just seems a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if it's – I don't know what it is. Maybe with all the competition in Laval, maybe that he, uh, I don't know, isn't getting a chance to play as much as he used to with, you know, Caden Primo kind of passing him in the – in the hierarchy of goaltenders. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. It's just this, this whole back of goalie situation. Uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of tired of it at this point. Uh, they just need to find the guy. And it just, yeah, you talked about Lindgren. It looks kind of out of place. Uh, you know, the, the situation in Laval is kind of messy because you have a starter uh, in Primo that you don't really want to bring up and, and play as a backup in the NHL. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, you, you say Lingren looks messy. It's a, it's a messy goaltending situation as a whole. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot of even like trade price, uh, you know, calls from the fan base on Twitter because uh, of his cap hit and how he hasn't looked absolutely spectacular. And so, you know, just this whole goaltending situation and price is still playing way too many games, in my opinion, uh, because they don't have that backup situation solved out. It's just, it's not great. And it's something that kind of lurks in the back of your mind uh, at all times. Like, you know, you see price, he gives up a, you know, something that, You'd like to see saved, and you're like, ooh, this guy's getting paid $10 million uh, to make that save. Or, you know, you, you talk about Lingren, and, you know, it looks like he's he's totally out of sorts against Chicago, and you're like, hmm, I wish we had a better backup. And so, you know, this whole, yeah, it's just, it's something to, to, to obviously, we've talked about this whole goaltending situation uh, extensively, especially when Caden Primo was called up. Uh, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's not great, and uh, hopefully we can get it sorted out in the coming years. Uh, because I think this year it's kind of a lost cause because uh, you know it just we have we didn't find the backup goalie uh, and it's screwed over this it's kind of screwed over the starting goalie uh, at the same time. Yeah, I don't really remember that well from the very beginning of the season, but I feel like at the time when Keith Kincaid was put on waivers, I was pretty su surprised. I mean, I know I don't think he's been so great with the Rocket. I haven't really looked at his numbers recently or, or watched Laval, but I don't think he was bad enough. He didn't really stand out as being, oh, this, this signing failed. You know, he would kind of just like, I mean, his numbers in the NHL weren't very good, but it wasn't, it didn't seem so bad to me that Keith Kincaid was the backup. Like, I didn't have a problem with that when he was, when he was there. I feel like in the midst of losing streak, they kind of just had to shake some things up. That's, that was kind of my impression at the time. Yeah, maybe. But, but also, he wasn't playing great. So it's like, and, and I'm pretty sure last time I checked, his numbers in Laval weren't very good either. And, I don't like I I just the the whole Keith Kincaid experiment has kind of totally bottomed out uh, at this point. It doesn't look like he's gonna come back this season. And yeah, mm -hmm. I had the same feeling. I had the same feeling about Kincaid earlier in the season. It's not like uh, I I thought this guy was an absolute train wreck. I was actually pretty comfortable with the guy as a backup. It's just he didn't play enough, in my opinion, because they just kept yeah. sticking with Price. I guess I guess the organization didn't like him because they did send him down to Laval, and he hasn't come back up uh, since his demotion. Uh, but yeah, it's just I thought. I, it's just very disappointing, to be totally honest, this whole goaltending situation. Uh, you know, with a guy like Price, you expect it to be, you know, it's, you expect it to be the least of your worries. Uh, and, and frankly, it's not. It's one, it's one of the top priorities going into the offseason, figuring it out. Uh, not necessarily trading Price at all, but just, you know, figuring out just, you know, you want to balance his workload. You want to get in the capable backup. And so, yeah, I just we'll, we'll just have to see going forward. But I think... Uh, I think the goaltending situation as a whole this year, I think we can uh, give it an F uh, because I think it's been a failure. 
Wow, you really think so? I don't think so because the way I see it, they have three capable NHL goalies. Maybe not great backups, but that's more than almost any team has and three more than some teams have. Some teams have no no good backup goalies. Toronto comes to mind even though Michael Hutchinson's been all right uh, as of very recently. But I wouldn't be willing to call it a, a total failure yet or at all actually because, I mean, Caden Primo <laughs> – had had some some great games. I mean, honestly, if he weren't twenty, I feel like he would definitely be the best choice for the backup. Now they're just doing what's best for his development. But if they were really going all in on this season, Caden Primo would definitely be the the best option to back up Carey Price. I think he'd be because he was fantastic from what I saw. I think he'd be a, a great choice. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, right there, they're, they they can't play him. They have a problem with playing him because you know. It's not you don't want to play a 20, uh, 20 year old goalie, a very promising prospect. You don't want to, you know, have him sitting as a backup because you won't. You you, you want to play Carey Price. I don't know, sixty five uh, games a year. It's just yeah. uh, it, it. You you talk about how we have three, uh, you know, NHL backups, whatever. But I'm not comfortable playing either of those three right now this season. Uh, you know, Lindgren's <laughs> been meh. Kincaid has been demoted, and he just he looks like he's uh, you know. What is he, the backup in Laval at this point? And, uh, you know, Primo, obviously, I'm very optimistic about his future. But currently, uh, I don't want to see him in the NHL as a backup. And so it's just, yeah, they, they, they haven't figured it out. Like, yeah, sure, you have, uh, you know, on paper, sure, these are three backups. But when it comes to on the ice, Carey Price is still playing basically every single game. And so that, yeah. and he's not, he hasn't looked great. He hasn't been the MVP. Uh, he hasn't had a, you know, just, he hasn't, he hasn't even, he's barely been an, an average goaltender uh, an average starter in the NHL this year. Uh, his numbers yep. have been very mediocre, and they're still playing him 65 games a year, whatever it is. I don't know how many he's on pace to play, but it's still way too many. And so that's that's why, you know, like it's just you don't want to be worrying about goaltending when you're paying a guy $10 million and you have, what, you have three NHL backups, whatever it is. Like you just and, – and that's why I think it's an absolute failure because we're talking about it right now. And I don't want to be talking about the goaltending when you've got Carey Price signed for the next seven years. Yeah. All right. That's fair enough. So uh, yeah, just a little mention of Charlie Lindgren's uh, flailing blockers and naked hand. And we went on quite the, quite, the little, quite the little tangent there. Next night, though, against the Flyers, they really turned it around. Great game. Probably, probably the maybe even better played than the Flames game. 4-1 win against the Flyers. I think whoever it was on the broadcast said the Flyers, uh, the Wells Fargo Center, is usually one of the very loudest buildings in the NHL. And it was basically dead quiet for as soon as the Canadians got that second goal to go ahead two to one. And the Flyers basically didn't get have, get anything going from that point onwards. Uh, Price did have a pretty good week, even though he's, you know, he's been playing too much all year. The numbers on the season as a whole aren't very good. But this week was a, a pretty fantastic week for him. And yeah, Kovalchuk got two goals that night too. Yeah, I was just about to, to mention Kovalchuk, uh, he's type two in that game. Uh, and so, you know, uh, good for him, absolutely great. Uh, but uh, when it comes to uh, uh, Carey Price, yeah, he looked great. Uh, it looked like vintage Carey Price. But, you know, that's the thing. We're paying $10 million for this guy. We should be getting vintage Carey Price night in, night out. And it just seems like we saw the Philly game and we're like, oh, this is great. He looks great. Uh, he looked fantastic. Uh, I think it was Scott Lawton who was on a breakaway. And he just, you know, just he made it like he made it look easy, right? Uh, and we're like, oh, this is Carey Price. But then the problem is, I don't see this Carey Price night in, night out this season. It just seems that you know we've got nights where you you mix him in a, you mix in a lot of mediocrity, and he's just like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely great to see him play well. Uh, they dominated a playoff team. Uh, the Flyers, I think they're in a wild card spot right now. 
Uh, and so, uh, yeah, just great overall team win. I don't know what else to say. Uh, just mm-hmm. you'd love to see this. Uh, you'd love to see this happen night in, night out, especially against the team of caliber of uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, and uh, so that brings us to last night against the Golden Knights, where they very nearly blew a three nothing lead. Uh, I had actually I just read a, an article that that day yesterday about how I think the NHL is on pace to shatter the records of most multi-goal leads blown in the regular season across the entire league. So uh, that was that was pretty uh, that was almost very topical for for what I had read that day blowing a three nothing first period lead but uh but it was not to be they held on for the shootout win uh what were your thoughts on the the game overall uh it's just it's what we've seen a lot i i I know they pulled out the win in the shootout but it's the shootout you won in the shootout you didn't it's not a you know it's not it's not you didn't win through you know just playing regular hockey you have to go through like a skills competition to win the game and frankly they should have won this in in regulation vegas shouldn't have got shouldn't have even sniffed uh a point in this because not only did they mm-hmm. blow a three nothing lead, they had a four two lead with two minutes left, and Vegas's net was empty. I mean, it was yeah. and they and what Vegas scored with what ten seconds left, eight seconds left. I mean, the Habs had possession of the puck with ten seconds left in the game. They tried to ring it around the boards. Vegas took it and they scored in the and they scored what eight, eight, seven seconds left, whatever it was. And it's just look, you know, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of mental lapse we've seen all throughout the year. And to be totally frank, uh, yeah, it's just I'm. I'm it was it it didn't this win has me uh you know with a very sour taste in my mouth because uh I thought they were gonna they were up three nothing and I thought this that was the game and then somehow Vegas came came back and uh and and that's the thing though it wasn't even like uh Vegas outplayed them throughout the game it was just you know it was three nothing and then it was three one three two and it's like oh and then the half score is four two and then there's two minutes left and you're thinking wow that's great okay they they basically won the game and they 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 give up those two goals I mean, it's me I don't have such a problem with blowing the three nothing lead as I do having blowing a 4-2 lead with two minutes left in the net empty, right? At, throughout the whole two right. minutes, basically. Uh, and so, yeah, it just looked like they totally broke down at the end of the games. And we've talked about this multiple times. They've come out strong in the beginning of periods, and they've totally blown it at the end of it. And this is just another example of that. Uh, I don't know what it is. They can't seem to, to play 20 minutes at a time. It just seems they play like 17 on some nights, and this is just another example. They, it's just, yeah, they were totally, yeah, it just, yeah, they won in the shootout. And, and even in overtime, you know, they had a couple breakaway chances. I think one of them was a 2-on-0. Uh, and they still couldn't manage to score on Fleury. I know Fleury made uh, a couple of great saves there. I think he did the pad stack. But, you know, you expect to score on a 2-on-0 and then in the NHL. Come on now. I don't care if it's uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who hasn't even played that great this year. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of disappointing. Obviously, they came out with the two points. But you'd love to see them come out uh, with a regulation win at that point. And certainly doesn't help the narrative of a shattered confidence that we've seen, uh, you know, plenty of times where they just make mental lapses and they just, they, they get down on themselves in the middle of the game. So, so what do you think? Well, see, I totally understand all of that, but, but one of the reasons I'm not so concerned about this is I feel like the, that team that was in the middle of the losing streak, probably if that had happened to them, it would have been all over. But with, with this one, they totally dominated the overtime. They kind of bounced back right away because Sometimes that happens where you'll you'll give up goals and uh, you know in bad times you know end of the third period and the, they tie the game against you, but then they kind of they flipped the switch that all right they moved on they went to overtime they were clearly the better team in overtime they had the puck for basically the entire time the Golden Knights had what maybe one scoring chance in the whole five minutes and then they won one of the shootout so the they kind of they bounced back right at the end of regulation and they moved on and won the game. 
So I wasn't I wasn't too uh too bothered by it in the end. Yeah, I see. That's the thing, though. If they lose in the shootout, I think it's a totally different. Uh, it's a totally different uh, thing that we're spouting today. I think, or, or you're. I think you're you're saying something different. If it comes to uh, the Habs loss in the shootout, when it comes to the shootout, it's basically you know, uh, it's a skills competition. Uh, it's barely hockey, and so you know, I I don't think. Mm-hmm. Let's see that. That's what that's what makes me think like if. The Habs don't win in the shootout. The narrative today about overtime isn't that they dominated overtime; it's that they couldn't finish in overtime, right? Uh, and so that's right. that's my concern. Right? They didn't win in overtime. Yeah, sure, you can dominate all you want. If you don't score the goal, it, it doesn't help you, right? Uh, they they mm-hmm. needed the shootout, and so yeah, it's just it's, it's just another example. It's the kind of thing that we've seen a lot this year. Obviously, it's you know I've said this many times. It, they got the two points. It's great, but it just leaves you with kind of a sour taste uh, in the mind. Uh, when it comes to that. And yeah, that just about sums it up. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a, a small microcosm of the year, if you will, but they, they managed to win. Yeah, so if, if a win is a microcosm of the year, then, then I don't really mind. Anyway, so uh, does does that wrap wrap it up for the uh, for the Canadians on this week? Uh, I don't know yeah, if you wanted I think, to... I think right. All right, so uh, there was... Some other, the big news out of the week was, uh, I think, was on Wednesday, Vegas fired Gerard Gallant. Which was the I would say out of all the coaches' firings this year, which there have been a, uh, a lot of, this one was by far the most surprising. I, I did a double take when I saw that. What really, Gerard Gallant, uh, and they replaced him with Peter DeBoer immediately, who I had said last week was the best coach on the market, but I still don't think this firing makes any sense, and most people agreed with me. It seemed. Yeah, it's very, very weird. I don't know. I, I, like, look, Vegas is, uh, they were in a playoff spot uh, when they fired Gallant. They were, what, like two, three, four points away from first place in the division, yeah. and you're firing your coach? I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I get that the Bowers is a very good coach, uh, but do you really want, a, like, that kind of turnover when Gerard Gallant is also a very, very good coach himself? I mean, I think he's the top. I think you'd have to think he's the top coach. Uh if you're looking for a new coach uh, at any point, I think oh, yeah. he's the top hire at this point. Be- yeah, so like it's just and, and you know, and you're talking about a guy who was here when the franchise came to Vegas and he just he he got it done, uh, and, and they, he took them to the Cup final for crying out loud. And then it's not like he's underwhelmed. And, and last year, what they were they they were uh, one bad major call uh, and one ba- god awful major penalty kill uh, away from what, what was it the conference final. Uh, well, that, that right? was in round one, so they would they would have made round oh, two. Round but one. okay, right, right. But but the point was they were eliminated in round one only because uh, of that. You know, frankly, it was a it was a blown call by the ref calling it a major. Uh, and and they were just that away from making it to the next round, beating San Jose, who then went to the conference final. Uh, and so and people you know, forget just, uh, they uh, they actually had a three one series lead in round one last year, so they they blew game five, game six, and then. The, and then game seven too with a major penalty. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. So it's this team. Uh, I don't understand what was wrong with Gerard Gallant. Uh, you know, people. The, the the I've heard reports say that the players still liked him very much. He was very liked uh, by the Vegas Golden Knights players. Uh, and so, you know, I just uh, I don't understand what's happening. And I just uh, I don't. And they said he was totally hockey related, performance related, uh, and. Frankly, that performance—I don't think it was—I uh, don't think it merited a firing. Like, I think they were on like a four-game losing streak at that point. But 
they felt like they were, you know, they didn't fall off a cliff. Uh, they were still in, still very much in the thick for the, in the race for the division, let alone, you know, they were already in a wild card spot. So it's just, yeah, it makes no sense to me uh, bringing a new coach when you don't need to. Uh, this kind of reminds me of what was it the Habs when they fired they 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 hired you know Claude Julien and they fired Michel Terrier, but Michel Terrier is a much worse coach and was already known to be a much worse coach than Gerard Gallant was, right? Yeah, well, Gerard Gallant is, is the comparison because the Habs were first from. in the division, but you know, what's that? Why, why does this remind you of that though? What does it have it's to do a, with, with the Terrier? Uh, a team that's in the playoffs firing uh, oh. firing their coach because I I, I don't I can't think of any other instance. Uh, where a team is very much in the playoff race uh, and they fire their coach in the middle of the season. Uh, I think the last one might have been Michel Terrier, but then again, Michel Terrier uh, was a pretty bad coach. Uh, and, it, and it was already like he had already lost uh, his hold of the locker room at that point. And so this just makes even less sense uh, for Vegas to fire uh, Jean Gallant. I just, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Do you, can you think of any reasons why the Vegas could possibly reason firing a coach? Uh, Who's, who was frankly doing well. For me, all right, this is the opposite of the right time to fire your coach. This is this is like the exactly wrong thing to do. Not not only because of the, the timing of it with them being so close to top in the division with how close uh, the Pacific is, but because Gerard Gallant, by all accounts, uh, even by, I think, Colin Miller, who's on the Sabres now, who Gerard Gallant scratched way too often, uh, all the players loved him, loved playing for him. And you could see that in the first season of the Golden Knights history when they, when all the players overachieved, made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals against all odds, very well documented. That's the kind of thing a good coach uh, who has, who is, the players want to play for him, like Gallant, like Sheldon Keefe so far with Toronto, like Rod Brindamore in Carolina. That's the kind of, of coach that uh, doesn't antagonize their players. Uh, they, they have success. So that's the kind of coach you wouldn't want to fire in the middle of a losing streak. You would want to have them work through it with the players. And Peter DeBoer, I mean, I don't think he's as good a coach as Gerard Gallant. I think he's fine. He has a very good track record in the NHL. But I just feel like it's it's not worth it to, to can the guy that everyone loves that had tons of success so far in, what, two and a half years or so with the organization. It, just, it makes no sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. And what we've seen coaches uh, or teams fire their coaches in in the hope of a turnaround, but I don't think that the Vegas Golden Knights needed uh, a 180 degree turnaround given where they were. Right. So nope. if anything, you know, this is a quite a risky move. What if Peter Bower, uh, you know, he doesn't gel. Uh, and uh, what they had, they what was it? They, they had beef, right? The 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 Bower was yes, like calling yes, last the- year in the playoffs. Yeah, last year they had big beef, those two teams, especially the coaches. The coaches were going at each other. Uh, and so, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, we'll, it, we'll just have to see going forward how it works out. But, you know, like we're talking about a coach that was, uh, you know, very well loved from Gerard Gallant to the former coach of a rival, uh, a very hated rival, mind you, that you that just eliminated you uh, in the playoffs last year. So, yeah, I just, frankly, I don't get it. Uh, yeah, it's just, a very questionable move on behalf of Vegas. And if it doesn't work, uh, you, you, have to, you have to wonder what's going on with uh, the front office there, Kelly McCrimmon. Yeah, another funny thing to come out of this is Gerard Gallant was slated to coach the, um, the Pacific Division team in the All-Star game. We're going to get to the skills competition stuff soon. But uh, after he was fired, people were asking, is he still going to coach? Is he going to have like the, 
the NHL crest like John Scott had four years ago. But uh, then they uh, decided to replace him with Rick Tockett, Coyotes head coach, who I think is like one of like maybe two coaches in the Pacific Division that were coaching that team at the same time last year. I think him and Travis Green are the only ones I think I saw. So that's that's another uh, little funny thing to come out of this Gallant firing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of expected them to keep Jordan Gallant because if you think about it, uh, aren't you naming the individual uh, to the All-Star game? And so if he gets fired, he still has the same record, right? So I, I, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think you know they should have kept Gallant in that spot? Or do you think they made the right move going with Tockett? I, I thought they should have kept him. But, if, I mean, maybe I think the right thing to do would have been to ask him if he still wants to. If he said no, then all right. Don't force him to. But, uh, yeah, so that might have been what happened. He didn't want to do it anymore. And in that case, I totally understand. But, I mean, if you didn't ask him and you just kicked him out, come on, that, 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 come on that's not because he earned the All-Star nomination. And you don't kick out a uh, a player from the All-Star game if they go on a slump in the weeks leading up to it. So if a coach has a bad week and gets fired, then they should it should be the same treatment, in my opinion. Yeah, Absolutely. And even if even if said player gets traded to uh, a different team and gets sent down to Laval, uh, as we saw with John Scott, oh. he still played in the Oscars. Yeah, it was St. John's uh, at the time. So, the yeah. Caps. Ex- oh, right, St. John. My apologies. Anyways, uh, you yeah. want to transition to the All-Star game? I think this is a nice little segue. Uh, yeah, sure. Into uh, an, or, or do you want to go with Ray Shiro? Uh, we'll, do, we'll do the All-Star stuff first, then we'll do Ray okay. Shiro. Sure. Um, right. and so, so uh, skills competition... Okay, sure. We'll do the skills competition. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you want you want to explain the new event that they uh, that they released? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so we kind of dug into the whole All Star festivities last week, uh, criticized it pretty mercilessly. Um, but they announced something this week that I am kind of a fan of—a new addition to the skills competition. I'm not sure exactly all the specifics of the competition, how it works, but basically, it's going to involve players shooting pucks from the stands. Uh, at the uh, the arena in St. Louis. So, you know, by the audience. They'll have netting to protect them and everything, of course. But they'll be, you know, very, very dude perfect, as Jake DeBrusque and a lot of other people have pointed out. I don't know if they'll be hitting, like, I don't know, nets, probably. Targets on the nets. I don't know how the scoring will work. But basically the idea is they will not be on the ice and they'll be shooting pucks at a target from very far away. And I'm I'm at least very open to this idea and excited to watch it. I'll definitely be tuning in for it because I like when they try something new, at least. It's, I hope it'll be way more fun than the tiny net passing event that uh, that we've seen way too much that I criticized last week. But I don't think you were as enthusiastic about this new idea as I was. No, absolutely not. Uh, and so talking about the tiny net challenge, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the fact that the NHL has, in fact, uh, eliminated that challenge. Uh, thank oh, God. They did? Uh, yeah, they did. I think that's what came out. Oh. And also the gate challenge. Remember the gate challenge? Uh, I saw that on Twitter that uh, that will not be making an appearance this year. And thank God, because uh, frankly, this new uh, stance challenge is just another mini net challenge. But wow, they're closer to a bunch of fans. Um, yeah, I just, it, that's what it this is. is not, this is not a new mini net challenge. Absolutely. It's okay. Well, we're hitting a net from this time. Instead of having a smaller net, we'll have uh, a farther net. And wow, you have a nice tall obstacle. You have to flip it over. And also, what's the 
And, and so, and you still have the same potential. Uh, the, the worst part of the mini net challenge was, you know, we talked about it last week, you know, you have those players, you know, they're, they, they don't want to be there anymore. They're embarrassing themselves because they're just taking forever. They keep missing, missing, missing. Uh, what's to say that this won't happen again? Because you know, this has the same potential for failure. What's the backup plan if, I don't know, some, some dude uh, who's doing the challenge uh, keeps missing and keeps missing and keeps missing and keeps missing? Uh, so how, do you th- how is that any different from the mini net challenge? Is that how this challenge is going to work? Because my, I don't know, for, for whatever reason, my first impression of it was that it was going to be like, a, all right, player one, you shoot, see if you can score. Oh, you missed. All right, you lose this round. Next shooter. Is it keep shooting pucks over and over and over again until you score like the mini nets? Because I don't think that's what it is. And I even have if no that idea. is what it is. Uh, but even if that is what it is, it's way cooler than mini nets because this one, like, it's not embarrassing if you miss because of how far away you are at least maybe it's not exactly easier or harder or whatever but when you score from the stands it's cool whereas when you score in the mini that's like oh finally that's over we can move on now uh well i i don't know i think i disagree like uh first of all i don't know the format uh specifically of what's going to happen so i guess we'll have to see uh if there is potential for you know just hours and hours of missing uh but uh (laughs) Other than that, it's just uh, what was I gonna say? I was. It's just. It's. Yeah, I've lost my train of thought, kind of. But uh, yeah. it's just. Uh, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, and 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 like it's the novelty. I think that's that's uh, that's driving your optimism. And I think that novelty wears out by the second shooter because what you're. It's the same thing over and over again, and uh, it's just like easier or harder it's it's still this like when we first had the mini nets it's like oh wow look at all the skill this guy has you know being able to shoot over an obstacle and into a net isn't it the same thing it's exactly the same thing there was a there was a vertical obstacle on that mini net challenge as well right there was that little barrier and now it's the boards and the net you know it's to me they just made it bigger and farther and oh wow look they're 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 uh there's alex petrangelo sitting next to Petey, uh and it's like you know, the, just whatever, whatever. It doesn't move the needle. Uh, I think it's just, look, if it, if it attracts the fans, uh, the, 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 the kid fans, uh, I think that's what this whole thing is marketed for. It doesn't move the needle in terms of making it uh, attractive for regular fans because it's just, it's it's like, okay. It's a, it's like you're taking it, uh, taking it straight from the pages of, uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier. It's like Dude Perfect. Uh, and, and Dude Perfect is not targeted towards your normal hockey fan. It's for kids who want to watch, uh, you know, who want to watch trick shots on YouTube. Uh, and so, yeah, that's why it doesn't really move the needle. Uh, I'm not very excited about it personally. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll look at it. Uh, I think there's a, a train crash element to me watching it. I kind of want to watch it tra- crash and burn. And that's why I'll be tuning in uh, and to see if it is a mini net challenge. And if it is, I'll be back next week uh, with an A+. Plus, I told you so. All right. Well, I'll be watching it uh, Friday Friday evening. Uh, see if maybe it's entertaining or maybe it is a total train wreck. So uh, that'll it'll surely be entertaining either way. Uh, so I think that uh, that could be it for All Star stuff. Uh, the other firing from this week that we mentioned earlier: Devils fired GM Ray Shiro, and in season GM firings are getting it's seemingly increasingly rare, uh, especially just not long after. Uh, you let that same GM trade your best player and fire your coach. So even though a lot of a lot of people knew this was going to be coming eventually, um, 
uh, I think both of us included, the fact that it happened in the middle of January was a little bit a little bit weird and uh, and unexpected. What were your what were your impressions? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not it's not the timing for me. Uh, middle of January, whatever. If the guy has to go, the guy has to go. But it's more the sequence of events. You mentioned it earlier. He traded Taylor Hall, fired the coach, and then they fired the GM. And, and to me, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, yeah, it's just usually you think you'd fire top down, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just yeah. Why? I think we had we saw a kind of a similar situation with what Pete Chiarelli. This guy was a lame duck GM. They fired him, but before he saddled them with that Miko Koskinen contract, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just. It's the sequence of events that's problematic for me. I don't have a problem with firing GMs in January. It's just why, like, obviously it's not great with the deadline coming up in a couple months. But still, it's just why are you letting a guy make such moves if you're going to fire him down the line? And that this just leads me to believe that Vegas, uh, no, sorry, not Vegas, New Jersey, uh, not such a great, not such a great or run organization if they're firing their general manager after he's fired their coach and you know traded Taylor Holloway for basically a bag of magic beans uh it's just yeah i don't know it just it, it looks it's a very bad look for new jersey and i think it just goes to show that not a very well run organization you don't see this happening uh to the you know the better run organizations of the league what are your thoughts mm-hmm. uh well my thoughts are that ray shiro did a very good job in his four or five years or so with the devils and Almost everything, almost every move he's made was seen as a smart thing to do. So this kind of this disaster season where nothing is working out and everyone's playing poorly and they can't get goaltending, even though all right, I guess Ray Shiro kind of can be at fault for not getting a good goalie. But in a vacuum, almost everything he's done has been has been good. I'm just I actually just pulled up the Devils trade history now. Before this last uh, Taylor Hall to the Coyotes trade which I guess we kind of criticized a little bit. He's done uh, looking for the big stuff. He got Nikita Gusev for a second and third round pick, and he's been pretty good, uh, at least as an individual player. He got Louis Domingue for nothing. He got the PK PK Subban trade, even though Subban hasn't been very good at all this season. At the time, that was a unanimous Devils win. Nashville got back uh, a seventh defenseman, uh, a B-level prospect at best, and two second round picks which was seen as uh, an absolutely nothing return. Last year, the trade deadline, they were out of the playoffs. He got back pretty good returns for Marcus Johansson. Got a return for Keith Kincaid, a fifth-round pick. So, uh, yeah, honestly, as a whole, and obviously the original Taylor Hall trade, which was crown jewel Hall for Larson, of course, um, I don't see anything in particular he did wrong besides, obviously, the goaltending I mentioned. So maybe he's got the short end of the stick here, but I don't think personally that he's going to be out of work for that much longer. I think he'll be one of the front runners for any GM opening that comes up within the next couple months. Yeah, sure. I mean, you mentioned all those trades and uh, absolutely. I, I just seems that uh, whenever, you know, New Jersey made a trade before the hall trade, the second hall trade, it just seemed, Oh wow. They won the trade. It just happened to be uh, that it, none of them really worked out. You talk about good stuff. He's doing all right, but you know, nothing spectacular. Uh, other than you know the Hall for Larson trade, and so that I think when everything goes wrong like this, it's very unfortunate uh, for Rashiro, who has made you know a bunch of very good moves. It's just first of all his drafting has been questionable, and second of all, it's just the the reality of this league is that you need to win, and if your team falls apart like this, you're pro- you're almost definitely on the hot seat uh, if you're not getting fired already. Uh, and so like obviously uh, you know it's like yeah he's. Like, personally, I don't know if I would have fired him, but
But the reality of the league is if your team falls apart like this, you're probably going to get fired. At least you're going to get, you know, somebody's going to take a good look at you. But uh, it's just, the, I, for me, it's just really the timing, you know, like I, I don't know if Ray Shiro uh, was a great or, you know, a mediocre GM. Personally, I don't really have an opinion on that. I just think, you know, the timing is the, what irks me because it's just, you know, we saw the same thing with the Oilers. The Oilers are a mess of a franchise. Uh, we could talk about, you know, potentially how, well, it, yeah, well, never mind. Uh, I was going to mention probably like Zach Cassian potentially, but uh, we can save that for another date. Uh, but yeah. uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a, it looks like a poorly run organization. And that's, that's my problem with it. Uh, and I think that about covers it for both of our opinions, unless you want something to add on uh, Ray Shiro. Yeah, well, I, don't, I feel like this was just a case of, of his time being up. Like, all right, you had several years to turn this around. You made a bunch of big moves, got P.K. Subban, got two first overall picks, Nikita Gusev, Wayne Simmons, whatever else. And this is supposed to be the year that they that they start fresh and gun for a playoff spot. And the fact that it totally fell apart, it wasn't even like they were just outside the race. They have been near the bottom of the league all year. That uh, it was just all right. Ratio, time's up. You didn't do it. Uh, you didn't do the job. We need someone else to take over for you. So I think well, I was listening to something I don't remember saying that whoever comes in after Ray Shiro, which right now is Tom Fitzgerald, uh, I don't know if he's gonna be the the long term GM or if he's just interim. I'm not sure, but whoever it is has uh a, is in a much better position than Ray Shiro was when he took over for Lou Lamorello in 2015 with tons of like Patrick Eliash, you know, 38 years old. Everyone on the team was like at least. 33 years old and on bad contracts, whatever, Yuri Tlutzi, I don't know, just a couple names. So now he's got, you know, two young cornerstones to build around, Jack Hughes and Nico Hischier, and a couple other really good pieces. So I don't think the Devils are going to be hanging around at the bottom of the league for that much longer. I think maybe even next year they've got a chance to turn it around. Yeah, it's just, that's the thing with uh, Ray Shiro was uh, he was, he, he had it right on paper. It just, it just didn't work out on the ice for him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, I personally don't trust the devils after this whole fiasco. Uh, and so I don't know if they'll make the jump. Uh, I think good, well-run organizations typically, uh, are much more prone to make that jump into the playoff, uh, actual Stanley cup contention. Maybe we'll see them on the edge next year, uh, you know, in the playoff hunt, but I don't think they'll make too big of a splash. I know a lot of people were touting them as the offseason winners because Ray Shiro did win the offseason. Uh, you know, he made some very solid moves. It's just that it didn't work out. And, yeah, maybe we'll see that happen again. We'll just have to see uh, when New Jersey, uh, see if they get a new GM and, and all that. We'll be monitoring that situation. Uh, moving on to another team, uh, if that's all right with you. Uh, I think oh, we yeah. can move on to the, the Maple Leafs. And so yes. uh, a couple different topics. Uh, I think we'll start with uh, Alexander Gergiev, uh, who all has right. been the uh, topic of many a trade rumor. Uh, with Toronto being the number one team discussed in terms of potential destinations. Now, uh, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on this whole situation with uh, Georgiev? So this whole Georgiev, it kind of blew up uh, because he's been a good, good backup for the Rangers for three years now. And, but they've got this, this other goalie who just came over from the KHL, Igor Shesterkin, who kind of immediately passed him on the depth chart. So now the Rangers, I would say they have Lundqvist is still their number one, at least for now. And they've got two very good young backups. So now it's looking like since Shesterkin has the higher ceiling, Georgiev is on the block. And because the Leafs need a backup, obviously there's a, it's a big, you know, putting two and two together, big matchmaking thing. 
And so stuff was saying, okay, Georgiev, I mean, he's just a backup goalie. He's a good backup goalie, but he's just a backup goalie. How much could he possibly cost? And I think the thing that really blew this whole thing up to to where like everyone's talking about, oh, Georgiev to Toronto, is that Darren Dreger said that he doesn't think even Kasperi Kapanen straight up for Alexander Georgiev. He thinks the Rangers would say no to that, which, I mean, is pretty outrageous considering Kasperi Kapanen is one of the best third liners in the NHL, cost-controlled, what, 23, 24 years old, about the same age as Georgiev. And the Leafs didn't, people pointed out, didn't even give up that much for Frederick Anderson, which is the trade in hindsight that they definitely won. Even though, so they gave up a, a 30th pick in a, the draft and a second rounder from the next year, which the Ducks actually ended up did turning into Sam Steele and Maxime Contois. So those are two very good young players. But I mean, Frederick Anderson is, you know, uh, one of the best starting goalies in the NHL. So the fact they'd have to give up Kapanen for Georgiev, Leafs fans started, you know, uh, going far with it. Like, oh, they're going to have to give up, oh, you know, Marner, Tavares, whatever, you know, for, for this guy, Alexander Georgiev, the next coming of Dominic Hasek. So I think it's kind of funny. And I think, I do, in seriousness, I think a trade could possibly come together. Maybe like Andreas Janssen, who I don't think is quite as valuable as Kapanen. Or maybe Pierre Engvall, who kind of had a bit of a resurgence. One of those things with maybe, I don't know, some picks thrown in from either side. Just uh, that's kind of seems like the thing that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, you see, for in my opinion, I think like from the Leafs perspective, getting Georgiev, I don't think they can they can come out of this with a win uh, in terms of a trade because like it's just they, they have very little leverage. I mean, we've seen the disaster that their goaltending has been in terms of backup uh, and, you know, trying to get Freddie some rest. Uh, Michael Hutchins said, I know he's been fine recently, but up until, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, he was absolutely atrocious. And I think he got his first win like three weeks, a month ago only. Uh, and so, you know, mm-hmm. it's just that that whole situation has been a train wreck. And, you know, a guy like Georgiev, and, uh, and this is my whole issue with this whole thing, is that Georgiev, personally, I don't think he's, he's much of an asset at all. Because, what, he's their third goalie. Uh, I, I don't think his numbers have been particularly spectacular. Uh, and I do believe he's a UFA, or at least some sort of free agent after this year. So he's not cost-controlled. RFA. Uh, RFA, okay. So an RFA at the end of this year. But he still needs a new contract. And so he's not, you know, totally cost-controlled. Although he is an RFA. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's like, my thing is, you know, like, are, are the Leafs going to find their goalie of the future, their backup goalie of the future in Georgiev? Maybe, but I think it's unlikely because he was an all right backup. Like he was, you know, all right to good uh, with New York. And so, yeah, and, and especially, you know, you, you talk about the Darren Drager tweet. If, you know, they have, if the Rangers even want someone like Kaepernick, we talked, you talked about how outrageous that is. But if it comes to that, like, if it comes to that, the Rangers, if they get an offer that's less and Toronto isn't willing to give it up, then, you know, they just say no to Toronto. I don't think the Rangers are in any rush. To trade away Georgiev, right? Uh, no. Because he is an RFA. So yeah, I just think I personally am as a Leaf as a Leaf hater. I'm tr- I'm rooting for a Georgiev trade because I think uh, honestly I don't think it can work out uh, from the Maple Leafs perspective because it's just like you're gonna trade a bunch of assets uh, for a meh guy, uh, a meh backup goalie. You kind of you kind of did say you kind of said two contradicting things there. You said, "Well, Georgiev isn't actually worth that much as as much as people are making him out to me because you know expiring deal, just a backup goalie. Backup goalies are generally not worth too much." 
and also that the Leafs are going to have to give up lots of assets for him, which, you know, those things kind of contradict each other. And I think it's probably closer well, to the, the first thing that uh, Georgiev okay. is not as worth not worth as much as the uh, the general public is making it out to be. So honestly, if the Leafs do end up making this deal and it costs less than Casperi cap, and then some people are going to look at that and and call it a win. And I do think giving up uh, a winger for a really good back goalie from now until the end of the year actually definitely improves the Leafs and their chances of making the playoffs because of the excess they have on the wings and how good their scoring depth already is that they can afford to lose one good depth winger for a backup goalie. Okay, well, well, going back to to to, to this alleged contradiction now. Um, All right. I, I I think I think it has to do with leverage. Where I that, and I think that's where the disparity comes from. I don't think it's because I think both of them can coexist simultaneously. It's just that okay, maybe Alexander Gurgiev is not worth as much, but I think he is. I think what we've seen on Twitter is that he is he has been overvalued by both the Rangers, uh, by both the Rangers and like you know the general hockey world as it is because you know you see, uh. The rain, you saw that report from Darren Dreger. That, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, maybe Georgiev isn't much, in my opinion, and in your opinion, but it seems to be it seems to be that the Rangers value him quite highly if they're asking, allegedly, reportedly, uh, for someone like Kasperi Kapanen. And so I think uh, because the Rangers do hold all the leverage in this scenario, I think they can absolutely get something. Uh, you know, I think they can set a bar like Kapanen, and if they don't get anything, I think they're very comfortable saying no and just, Keeping him, keeping him for the rest of the season, and I think yeah. that's where the disparity comes in because the Rangers do have all that leverage, and so you know I think because that's the thing, right? The Rangers are in no pressure to give this guy up, and if they think he's you know a guy, you know if he's got the asset value of a Kapanen, while we may not agree, and you know maybe the truth is that Georgiev is just some guy who's not worth much. If the Rangers think he's worth Kapanen, they can very much get that trade value if they find a dance partner. Uh, yes. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what I was saying. Uh, and yeah, that's just and the, see, I don't know how much. Uh, and going back to what you said, are, does this has the backup situation you think affected the Leaf season that much? Uh, well, Michael Edmondson has kind of turned a corner a little bit, which kind of seems pretty glossed over in this entire conversation. I think he's won all of his last three starts with a great save percentage. But at least in the first half of the season, he was one of the worst goalies in the NHL. So maybe this little hot streak is not quite enough to, uh, you know, curb everyone's everyone's anxiety in uh, Leafs Nation. But the Leafs have had uh, lately more than just backup goalie problems. Frederick Anderson has been very bad this week. And especially last night against Chicago, it uh, seems like things really came to a head. I don't know if you saw, you saw any of the highlights. I did. They lost 6-2. to two. At least three or four of the goals were bad goals that should not have been allowed by an NHL goalie. And a lot of times people are willing to give goalies benefit of the doubt. Not on any of these. They were terrible. There was a easy easy one to squeak through the five hole. Low angle shots that went in. I don't know if Frederick, Frederick Henderson's injured or if he's just having playing some of the, the worst hockey of his entire career. But this is something that uh, a lot of Leafs, Leafs fans are concerned about heading into the bye week. Okay, so if that's the case, I, you know, I, I didn't actually see those highlights. Well, then maybe they do need a guy like Georgiev, and that just increases the price uh, for Georgiev because the Rangers know that you know they have even more leverage. Uh, if the Leafs can't even get their starting goaltending straight, uh, well, just recently, uh, then you know maybe the price goes up, and that's 
that's just something to monitor. Obviously, nothing has happened yet. It's just, you know, a bunch of rumors and discussion and what ifs. Uh, and so I think we'll just, yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on. Do the Leafs make a move at the goaltending position for this push? Because, uh, you know, we they've talked a lot about Hutchison's struggle, struggles recent, uh, earlier in the season. And now we see Frederick Anderson uh, not playing so great. So is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of uh, Georgiev? Or shall we move on to the other Leafs uh, big news that came out recently? Uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up on Georgiev. I think you're talking about Morgan Riley, right? The, the, uh, yeah. He'll be out for eight weeks, seven weeks now. Yeah, that's a big blow to the Leafs. You want to dive into that a little first? Sure. Uh, I'm not sure what the nature of the injury was, uh, but what happened was uh, it came out that he's out for eight weeks, or uh, eight weeks, and that this came about this came out earlier in the week, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, this is just... I, I mean, Morgan Riley... Uh, hasn't had such a great of a season. I think it's been reported that earlier in the season that he had uh, an injury, and, and it just comes out like this, that you know he's out for eight weeks. Apparently, he was playing through an injury. Uh, and so, you know, there's many different angles to this. First of all, you got to question, you know, like, why was he playing if he was injured? Obviously, like, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about hockey culture. Okay, you want to keep playing those games. Uh, and the Maple Leafs were struggling. They were, you know, they've been fighting for that playoff spot. Uh, and they're in the thick of the wildcard hunt right now. But it's just, you know, that's the fear. This is the worst-case scenario when it comes to playing through injury, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where a guy uh, like Morgan Riley, they, the caliber of a guy like Morgan Riley, uh, who was, I think, the leading scoring defenseman last year. I know he's been struggling this year, but last year, well, he, he was, like, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and yeah, he's on like the top pairing. Yeah, absolutely bonkers numbers from Morgan Riley. And, and that's the thing, right? You risk... A player like Morgan Riley, and that, that's what happens when, you know, the roll of the dice goes wrong. And now he's out for eight weeks. Uh, you, you have to wonder, like, the defense is probably one of the weaknesses. Uh, actually, not probably, definitely one of the weaknesses of the Maple Leafs at this point. Uh, and so this is honestly a huge blow uh, for their chances. Even, even though Riley was not playing great, he was still a minutes eater. He was contributing in the offensive zone. Uh, and so uh, I don't, I'm not too sure what their their backup plan is. Uh, maybe you can fill me in on uh, what's happening there. All right. So with the injury, you said he was playing through something at the start of the year, which by all accounts is probably true. But it seemed at this point that was basically gone. And this was this is a foot injury. He blocked a shot in a game against the Panthers. I think that's what it, that's what it was. And that kind of maybe it re-aggravated the same thing, but. On, this was a totally separate, like a, a separate situation that was just, it just kind of happened like his, his, he probably would have been injured anyway, even if he had been able to sit out early this season. So obviously that doesn't, you know, excuse him playing through injury earlier, but that's just uh, how it is. And uh, to go along with Riley being out long-term, Jake Muzzin has also been out uh, for a while. I'm not sure when he's going to be back, but for the time being, the, uh, the pairings on defense for the Leafs, uh, I think, off the top of my head are Travis Dermott with Justin Hall and then Tyson Berry with Martin Marinson possibly. And then Rasmus Sandin who got called up recently is playing with Cody CC. I think that's what it is. It might be, might be Sandin Berry or Sandin Hall. Anyway, those are the six I'm sure of. And they actually, they dressed seven defensemen last night in their loss to Chicago. Timothy Liljegren played his NHL debut, but uh, he was, he was sent down today ahead of the bye week. So, so those are the six slash Seven defensemen who are playing for the Leafs doesn't inspire that much confidence, but when you've got such a great forward group and with the up tempo way that 
that uh, the new Sheldon Keefe Leafs play, I think they should be able to survive and at least hang in there till Riley and Muzzin are back. Yeah, I, I, I don't know uh, because this defense has held them back in the past. And, you know, when Marty Marinson is your second your second pair of defensemen, I think that doesn't elicit a lot of confidence. Uh, and I, I've just pulled off the daily face-off uh, lineups. And uh, that's where he's playing right now with Tyson Berry. And it's Dermot Hall uh, on the first and uh, Sandin CC on the third. And so uh, it's just, yeah, it looks very weak right now. And you have to wonder, you know, is this another potential move? Uh, I, I don't know if there are any big name uh, especially with their cap situation. I don't know if they can go out and get a big name, but this defense looks very weak without Muzzin and uh, Riley. So if you think you, you got to look and, and we did see, we have seen them struggle recently. And so you got to think, you know, maybe Kyle Dubas has got to think about, you know, either moving for Gurgiev or, or maybe someone on the defense. Uh, and it's just, yeah, the Leafs have been very banged up this year. Uh, kind of like the Habs uh, in that way. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, yeah, Muzzin, and Riley, that's just two of their best defensemen uh, this year, and yeah. they're both out. And they're so that's got a thing. Uh, and so, yeah, they're two best. And uh, so just uh, you, you, we'll, we'll just have to see if they can survive. And you know, the that's what they, they, you know, the sign of a very good organization, uh, of a very well built roster is how do you do when you know is is your organizational depth. And, and so we'll see how Toronto's defense uh, is able to hold up. Yeah, uh, I I don't think uh, Dubas is going to trade for defenseman. I don't think he should trade for defenseman because that would at this point seem like kind of a, a panic move. Or like I think the team they're aiming for is a team that can survive through these kind of injuries, and it's more about the the style than the personnel. And besides that, there isn't really a defenseman on the market that's going to move the needle that much where it's worth it to go get something just because you can't possibly have. Martin Marinson in your lineup. This is the kind of thing, this is the reason you have Martin Marinson, who's a, a capable seventh defenseman. So he can step in when there are injuries and he can he can be okay. He can be decent. So I don't think the Leafs should trade for defenseman at this point. I think they should focus on Georgiev or another backup goalie. That's that's my opinion on, on that situation. Okay, sure. I mean, look, they're, it, we'll just have to see how the Maple Leafs uh, react to these injuries. And I think that's, probably the best indicator of what they should do moving forward because if they can hold up fine yeah i think you can totally weather the storm way out. but if they fall off a cliff uh and i think we saw indications of that against chicago where they did not look good at all though a lot of that was goaltending i think you mentioned earlier yeah, uh, yeah it was it's just, uh, yeah, so but like you know we'll, we'll just see how they i think dubis needs time to assess how this roster will react and uh that's probably the wise decision and if they really do fall off a cliff, maybe a panic move is the way to go because at that point, what are you going to do, right? Because this team needs to make the playoffs. Yeah, all right. I suppose, all right. So uh, I think that that wraps it up on the the Leafs. There's uh, one more hockey team we want to dive into a little bit, uh, the Capitals with Nicholas Backstrom. They uh, Backstrom, everyone kind of, they, we saw this coming. I, I had actually mentioned to you before, we kind of knew this was going to happen eventually, Backstrom extending with the Capitals even though he was a pending UFA, and it happened on Tuesday. Uh, five years, uh, and average annual value of $9.2 million. Takes him until he's 37 years old. Oftentimes, uh, people would frown upon a contract like that, but with how good Nicholas Backstrom is, one of the most underrated players of the past, whatever, however long he's been playing, kind of in uh, hiding in the shadow of Alex Ovechkin. And that combined with the fact that, I mean, 
he's won a Stanley Cup, and you shouldn't pay players for past performance, generally speaking. But I don't think Cavs fans or anyone really had such a problem with this contract uh, that he actually negotiated himself without an agent. So uh, I don't know what, what, uh, what your initial thoughts were, what your thoughts are now on the new deal for Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, see, it's just the, the numbers seem big. You know, five five years, $9 million for a guy who's uh, 32. But the thing is, you know, this guy hasn't shown any signs of regression. And I think his style of play can carry over uh, into the later years of his career. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. you know, this guy, you know, he's been perennially underrated, as you mentioned. Uh, he's been one of the best centers in the league uh, over the last, I don't know how long he's been playing. It just seems like he's been with the team uh, just forever uh, as yeah. Alex Ovechkin's centerman. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I mean, look, this team, uh, he's an integral part of the team. And so, you know, five years, I don't know about five years. He'll be 37 when it ends. Uh, but look, this guy deserved to be paid. Uh, I think he was at, what, five, six million? Uh, that's what his six last something. contract was. Okay, so, you know, a well-deserved raise, I guess. Uh, and yeah, he's just, he's an integral part of the team, integral part of the locker room, you know, uh, definitely a leader. And so, look, yeah, sometimes you just got to pay a guy, and I think that's the kind of scenario it is. Uh, you know, if it wasn't uh, someone like Backstrom, you know, just, just the importance of the team and obviously, like, yeah, just the importance to the, like, I think the his the importance of him, like, leading the team as well uh, has some sort of value. I think that mm-hmm. because if he's just some guy, I don't know if I would be comfortable giving a 32-year-old five years uh, at 9 Yeah, million. like David Backus. Right, exactly. It's just, you know... It, it, Nicholas Backstrom just feels so tied to the Washington Capitals that, and, and as you said, every, basically everybody saw this coming. He wasn't going to sign anywhere else. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it's just like, is, is 9 million, five years a lot? Yeah, it's a lot. But I don't have such a huge problem with it. What about you? I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time this contract is over, he's still playing just as well as he is right now because based on as you mentioned his style of play is generally one that ages well it doesn't necessarily rely on speed or physicality at all it's basically all about you know hockey iq offensive vision uh obviously one of the best passers playing with uh playing with ovechkin certainly doesn't hurt but that's the kind of thing that those skills don't really go away with age he should still be able to be very effective into his late 30s is uh is what I see coming for Nicholas Backstrom in the future. And another thing I want to mention about the Caps, I didn't, uh, uh, we didn't plan this, but Alex Ovechkin, this he scored a hat trick yesterday to move into ninth all time, or a, maybe a tie for ninth all time on the uh, all time goals leaders. He's at sitting at six hundred ninety two right now. So he uh, honestly, with the way he's doing playing right now, might get to uh, seven hundred by by our next show. Actually, I don't know if the Capitals are on the bye week. But anyway, it won't be long before he gets to 700. I personally foresee him becoming the third player to ever score 800 goals. I think he's going to get there in his sleep. And I think uh, Alex Ovechkin is going to keep up a, an absurdly high goal pace. I think he's going to break Gretzky's record. I think he's going to hit 900 goals. Uh, I don't think we've talked about this on the show yet. If you want to dive into it now, we sure could. What do you foresee for uh, where Alex Ovechkin lands among sure. the all-time greats? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, when it comes to his reasonable performance, it wasn't even the hat trick. This guy has scored, what, eight goals in three games. Eight yeah. goals in three games. That's absolutely 
disgusting. That's ridiculous. Uh, and just Alexander Ovechkin, all right, when it comes to, you know, his general body of work, I think we can agree. I don't know. Can we? Uh, he is the best goal scoring. He's the best goal scorer of all time yeah. uh, in the NHL. He's just hands down. There's nothing like it. This guy has an absolute nose for the for scoring goals. It's just ridiculous. Eight and three. I just can't get over this recent stretch. Uh, you know, some guys don't even score eight goals in a whole season, and this guy goes out and scores in three games. Uh, and so, you know, just what the heck, all right? That's the first thing. Disgusting. And, and, and when it comes to, you know, chasing that Gretzky record, uh, chasing 900, whatever it is, I'm uh, all for it. I am 100% rooting this guy on because, frankly, uh, I'm sick of this whole Gretzky versus Ovechkin debate. I think it's Ovechkin 100%. Uh, Gretzky played in a much easier era where, like, you know, scoring goals was a lot easier. And and Ovechkin, what? He's done it with, he's lived through two lockouts, right? One which erased his rookie season. Another which erased another one that was flat in the middle of his prime. It was half a season. Uh, yeah. And so you got to wonder where he is if with how many games. That's like 100, 100 something games uh, on top of that, right? And so yeah. he's just, he's absolutely filthy. Uh, he just scores goals over and over and over. Uh, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Uh, you say he's going to get the 700, whatever, in his sleep, 800. I, I don't think it's in doubt as well. Yeah. I think he just needs to get stay healthy. And he's been an absolute workhorse over the course of his career. Nothing seems to indicate that he will get injured. Uh, although those things, you know, it, it comes down to luck. But this guy is totally durable. And so, yeah, Alex Ovechkin, absolute legend. Uh, I don't know what else to say about this guy. He's just He's just so damn freaking good. And, uh, yeah, just greatest of all time at scoring goals. That's all I've got to say. If, it, if that does happen, like a, like a 41-year-old Alex Ovechkin breaking Gretzky's record, goal number 895, that would oh, be such a big moment. I can't wait. I hope that happens. Anyway, so uh, before we get to our, uh, our weekly standings look around, which we kind of need a better name for than a, a look around. I don't think it's a real word. Uh, we would kind of dive into a couple other sports uh, before – before we do that, so the NFL conference finals are later this afternoon. They will probably be over by the time uh, most people hear this. But I don't know. I'm obviously you know not an NFL expert. I don't have the same level of knowledge as you do. So I want to hear your your take. Especially I know your your favorite team, the Tennessee Titans, are still alive. I believe they are the heavy underdogs, though, aren't they? Uh, my favorite team is indeed uh, in the hunt. Uh, my team is the. Tennessee Titans, let's go, let's go. Uh, a team that has been absolutely mired in mediocrity uh, over the course of my lifetime. Uh, I started cheering for them in about 2008. They've been an absolute trash fire since then. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, they've absolutely turned it around. Uh, it's just, uh, first of all, uh, they started the season. Uh, for those of you who don't follow the NFL too closely, it is a 16-game season. So uh, every game is of extreme importance, right? Uh, and they do play one game a week. And so, uh, you know, they started the game, they started the season off two and four, which is, uh, you know, very bad. And though they changed their quarterback in the middle of the season uh, from the face of the franchise, Marcus Mariota, to the uh, newly acquired Brian Tannehill uh, at their quarterback position, which is, you know, the most important position in football. And uh, he, they just absolutely turned around. And the superstar of this whole, uh, this whole season for the Titans, uh, Derrick Henry, is their running back. And so... Uh, just he's been running over people. And so, uh, you know, to all the listeners out there, uh, I hope you cheer on the Titans because uh, they are by far the best team uh, left in the race. Uh, let me just recap the rest of them for you real quick. Uh, the, the Titans this week are facing the Kansas City Chiefs. 
uh, an absolutely explosive offense. Uh, they've got a lot going for them. This uh, and uh, they, the Titans. Uh, let me talk about their run a little bit. They've been huge underdogs in every single race. So uh, they beat the Patriots, the reigning champions, uh, in the first round in the wild card round. Then last week they proceeded to beat the best team uh, in football, in the Baltimore Ravens, uh, who were uh, absolutely unstoppable uh, with their uh, MVP. Uh, Lamar Jackson, he they shut him down. And so they dominated the Ravens as 10-point underdogs. And so this week, they are 7-point underdogs uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I am absolutely hyped for this game that's starting at 3 p.m. Uh, on today, Sunday, January 19. And uh, if they win, they make it to the Super Bowl. And they haven't made it to the Super Bowl since I've been alive. Last time they made it was in, I think, 1999 or 2000, one of those two years. Uh, and so uh, if they win... Uh, you can count on me buying uh, maybe uh, tons of Super Bowl merch, and uh, just uh, just I'll, I'll be, it'll be the sporting moment of my life uh, because uh, I just absolutely love the Titans. Uh, I have yet to meet a Titans fan in my life, and so uh, if you do like if you if you're a fan of the Titans, please shout me out because uh, you know I haven't found a single Titans fan in Montreal. Uh, uh, and so uh, yeah, that's that. And on the other hand, we have uh, the NFC Championship that I personally do not care for. But uh, a quick preview nonetheless. Uh, we have the All San right. Francisco 49 uh, who have been the best team uh, in that conference uh, against the uh, Green Bay Packers, who uh, were the second seed and uh, whose head coach was a former Titans offensive coordinator. Uh, a little Titans bump there. And so, uh, yeah, just another matchup. I'll be watching both games because uh, I absolutely love football. And, uh, you know, just as, just as much as hockey, I love both of the sports. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's the wrap on uh, football. You got any thoughts on that? I want to hear uh, your predictions for the games, final scores on oh. uh, both championships. All right, sounds good, sounds good. And uh, so right. uh, in, the, in the game that matters the least, I'll save the best for last, uh, I believe the 49ers uh, will take it because, uh, personally, I think the, the, the Packers are uh, of a kind of an illusion. I don't think they're as good as their record suggests. And so uh, I will give the score of 31 to 17 uh, for the okay, 49ers. Okay. I think like that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the Titans and the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs, while they are the favorites, I believe the Titans will absolutely run them over with Derrick Henry. Uh, and I don't think the Chiefs have an answer for that. Uh, and so, uh, yes, I will pick the Titans straight up as underdogs, as I have. For both of the previous games, mind you. Uh, okay. And so I will take them by the score of 35 to... Mm, let me think. 27. Two less numbers. 35-27. Right. Uh, let's go, Titans. They better freaking make the playoffs. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll just... I'll, I'll be make the Super Bowl. Oh, make the Super Bowl. That's what I meant. Uh, yes. Yeah. Go, Titans. All right. Okay. Uh, I will be watching that game as well. Perfect. Uh, and I recommend everybody else to be watching. If you don't catch this episode beforehand, uh, watch the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, get in all the football you can because absolutely fun. Um, so I think that wraps it up for football talk. Uh, let's move to another sport. Um, all right. Okay. The, Make it around. Uh, we're going uh, to, to baseball right now. Where, uh, oh, yeah. While nobody's playing baseball right now, it is the offseason. We have a huge scandal on our hands in the Major League Baseball world uh, where, uh, as it pertains to multiple teams, uh, but two in particular, 
but we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. So basically, the crux of the whole thing is uh, the Houston Astros, uh, who have uh, historically been awful, but as of uh, very recently, the past few years, have become probably the best franchise in, football, uh, in baseball. And so uh, it came out uh, through, you know, whistleblowers, different players, uh, that the Houston Astros were uh, stealing signs illegally uh, during their home games. And so uh, a bit of an explanation on stealing signs. Uh, it does happen in baseball uh, very legally, especially when there's a, a runner on second base. Basically, the catcher, uh, he will flash signs, and that will uh, basically signal what pitch he expects from the pitcher. And so if uh, the batter is able to uh, know these signs, uh, you know, it gives him a huge advantage because he can, you know, he'll be able to predict the spin, the trajectory of the ball. Uh, and so uh, it is allowed in baseball. However, it is strictly illegal to use any sort of electronic device uh, when it comes to uh, stealing signs. And basically, the Houston Astros got totally busted uh, stealing signs in their own in the, when it came to their home games. Uh, and so they had a complex system where they had cameras uh, in, the, in the outfield, you know, filming the, 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 the pitches. And then they have, uh, st- the, 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 well, they, they were filming the signs. And then they had, you know, staff members uh, furiously looking through the tape, trying to decode the signs. And then the best part of this, when they finally figured out their mode of communication that, that uh, has been, uh, you know, the, the, the focus of this investigation, they used... Uh, a trash can, which is uh, frankly very, very stupid, uh, where uh, they would basically, you, if there was an off-speed pitch coming, for example, you'd hear somebody in the Houston Astros dugout smack uh, a trash can with a baseball bat. Uh, and, you, and so basically there's a bunch of video evidence. You can go look this up where, you know, uh, fastball coming, there's silence. And then uh, the catcher flashes an off-speed sign. You hear bang, bang, bang. Uh, come out from uh, in the distance, and uh, and there's also been reports of uh, you know using uh, electronic buzzers uh, where they put like a bandaid over it to, to hide it, and so basically they the, the the players would feel like one buzz for a fastball or two for for an off speed pitch, but you know this is all the details. But basically, uh, just a, a huge scandal, and the 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 biggest part of this is that they used the system to win the World Series in yes, 2017. I was going to say you didn't mention that. Yeah, okay, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah, sure, they cheated, but basically they cheated to win the World Series. And not just win the World Series, they, they made the, the, the finals in 2018. And just this year, they were the, the runners-up. They lost to the, in the final to the Washington Nationals. And, uh, and it's just, yeah, it's just yeah, hilarious in my opinion. And not to mention the, the effect this has on other teams. First of all, the Boston Red Sox, who happen to be my favorite team, uh, their manager, uh, so they're basically their head coach, was... Uh, the bench coach, it's kind of an assistant coach in Houston during their twice 2017 run, and then in, and he was basically the, the the ringleader of this whole scheme. In 2018, he he uh, gets the job in Boston, uh, and then basically leads them to the World Series. And so uh, it's come out that this guy was also stealing signs in Boston. And so you got to think, you know, uh, what happened there? Uh, and you look statistically, basically, for both of these teams, Houston and Boston were much much better at hitting at home. Like, there are, I think, uh, you know, one guy, he was hitting, like, uh, 300 uh, at home, and he was hitting sub-100 when he was hitting on the road. And so, you That's know, we're crazy. talking about huge differences, huge statistical differences. Uh, and so you got to think, you know, I, I don't know if you got to put an asterisk next to these uh, world championships. I know the Dodgers, who finished uh, as the runner-ups twice 
2017 and 2018 to the Red Sox and the Astros, their city hall, their, their city legislature actually uh, put out like a motion asking the MLB to uh, post, uh, you know, to, to, to basically revoke the, the championships from Houston and Boston and give them to the Dodgers. Although I don't think that's going to gain any traction. Uh, it's just, it's a huge scandal. And, and not to mention the third team that's been uh, trapped in all this, a former player, Carlos Beltran, who was on the 2017 uh, roster as a player, uh, who was a, a, allegedly uh, the, the player leader of this whole scheme. Uh, he then retired in 2018 and then got a job as the manager for the New York Mets. Uh, and uh, and this was just this offseason. So he hasn't managed a single game yet. He has been fired. And so he's the Mets yeah. basically... Yeah, he's been fired, and he hasn't managed a single game for the organization. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we see the just this is just an absolute massive scandal for the MLB. Uh, you know, to the levels of maybe uh, probably the, the last scandal of this magnitude was probably you know uh, Pete Rose, uh, who was gambling on on uh, baseball games while he was still playing. And so this is just huge. Uh, it affects teams that won the championship. Uh, and so uh, personally. My opinion on this whole thing is that it's absolutely hilarious uh, because, you know, it's, it's so brazen. They were freaking, you know, banging on trash cans. It seems comical almost. Uh, and to see that it actually works so well, uh, it, it's, it's just kind of funny to me. I don't know about you. I, I look at all the players' reaction on Twitter. You know, they're all, all very salty uh, about this. And, uh, yeah, it's just a huge scandal. Any thoughts uh, on, on your behalf? I know you don't follow yeah, baseball so too closely, but... Uh, well, obviously, I heard about this, but okay. So I think what I saw was people who were associated with the Astros the year they won the World Series, and I guess the whole time that they've used all these tactics, uh, they received like some of them got like uh, suspended for the entire coming season. The Astros got like first and second round draft picks revoked for the coming drafts. Any other suspensions I should know about before I make my next point? Uh, no, those were so far, they're they're actually uh, leading. I, I talked about uh, I talked about the Boston manager. Uh, he's under investigation. He's already been fired. Uh, but yeah, the 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 Astros. You basically named them all. Uh, their general manager got suspended for a year. Their coach got suspended for a year. Uh, they had uh, first round picks and second round picks for the next two years revoked and five million dollars. Uh, and and that's the extent of the suspension so far. Okay, so what I think about this is. Uh... Basically, what you're saying with these suspensions is cheating to win the holy grail of our league is totally fine as long as we don't catch you until after it's done. Because if you don't revoke the championship, that's what you're saying. You basically have to revoke the championship to fully say this is will not be tolerated at any sort of level. You have to... I know it's total chaos and it might make no sense. And I know, I think you said was the, the LA Dodgers who were the runner-ups in 2017. Uh, if you ha you retroactively give them the World Series, obviously for the for the fans, it's not quite the same. doesn't feel the same as actually winning it. But that's the kind of thing that I feel like you have to do to make sure something like this never happens again. Yeah, uh, it, it's just, I think you're right on that hand. Uh, honestly, these suspensions... Uh, and these fines, they're, they're kind of a slap on the wrist only uh, to these organizations because, as you said, you basically won the holy grail uh, of baseball. You won the World Series. And, and this is two different teams that did the same thing. And, uh, you know, and it's not just the runners-up, right? It's all the teams that, you know, uh, you know, Houston and Boston eliminated on their way uh, well, to the World Series, for example. True too, yeah. yeah, for example, the Houston Astros, they, they beat uh, 
they beat the New York Yankees in Game 7 of uh, the conference finals. Uh, so basically the semifinals of the World Series uh, in 2017. And they beat him in Game 7. And basically this guy, Jose Altuve, uh, hit a walk-off home run. All right? And you think that's a great moment. But then as he's rounding the bases, right, he clearly tells his players, don't take off my jersey. Taking off yeah. the jersey is like, you know, one of those typical baseball celebrations. He's clearly mouthing. He's saying, no, no, don't do it. Uh, and he's like, you know, yeah, he's just like, you know, he's making sure nobody takes it off. And, and the speculation is that he was wearing an electronic buzzer uh, under his shirt. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that, that obviously plays a huge effect. And this was the game seven walk-off home run. Uh, this is not just any random play, right? And and uh, and uh, funnily enough, they actually asked him uh, post game uh, that that very day. They asked him, you know, why did you ask your teammates uh, to to not take off your jersey? Uh, and, and actually, his answer looks extremely extremely suspicious if you take a look at it. Basically, he says, uh, first of all, he says, uh, "What's that? Could you repeat the question?" Uh, and then oh. his, and then his second answer is, uh, "Haha, you know, my wife wouldn't be very happy if they did that." Uh, haha, and then that was that, and that, and it's a terrible answer. Yeah. And, and so you've got to think, you know, but but the M- the MLB has said there is no concrete evidence of wearing a buzzer for Jose Altuve, so I don't think we'll see. It's very hard wow. to prove these kind of things if you know the the shirt doesn't come off. And so yeah, yeah, it looks like he's gonna get off scot free. But I think yeah, it's just it's a very complicated like for the MLB, it's a very complicated you know punishment. Uh, you know, how far do you go? Do you award retroactively these teams, uh, you know, the Dodgers with the World Series? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. But as it is right now, uh, it seems as if the suspensions and punishments have concluded uh, for the Houston Astros. Uh, and I think I don't think there will be any more suspensions coming in the future. And so, yeah, it's just you're absolutely right on the message it sends uh, from the league. Cheat all you want. Uh, as long as we don't catch you in the act in the moment, you can keep your championship if you manage to win it. And I don't think it can be understated how important this cheating scheme was to them winning. Because yeah. I talked about those statistical differences. They're huge. They're obvious. They're blatantly obvious, uh, the differences when it, terms, when it came to, to hitting the ball uh, for the Houston Astros. Uh, it was basically, there's just a chasm between these, the, the two numbers uh, all across the board for basically all the players on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, this, it's just – it's – it's it's hilarious for me personally, but also it's it's, it's you know it's a scandal. It's kind of it's kind of sad for these teams. You got to be wondering, you know, a lot of these players. You got to be, you know, this was maybe their one chance at winning a championship. You know, what if, what if? Uh, so yeah, that that's that's the, the 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 what's going on in baseball right now. Yeah, you kind of wonder how the fans of the Astros would feel about this whole thing, because they'd probably try to to like you know, ignore it to some extent, ignore how, impo- how important it was. Hey, who cares? We we won the World Series. It's all over now. But there must be something like their, like their enjoyment of it is marred. Obviously, you said asterisk for everyone else, but also for the fans of that team. I feel like it probably makes the, the whole thing feel a little less, a little less real, understandably. Yeah, you'll, you'll always have that asterisk probably. You'll, you'll always have the asterisk next to uh... – your World Series, even if they don't revoke it, you know, you'll see 2017 World Champions, Houston Astros, asterisk, you know, that whole cheating scandal. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it kind of tainted for everybody. Uh, but uh, from what I've seen on Twitter, the Houston Astros fans, uh, they've been uh, trying to make light of the situation, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, understandably, right? You don't want to, yeah, as fans of the team, you don't want to admit that your team uh, cheated their way to a World Series. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, huge scandal, huge scandal. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, we are already over an hour and a half, and we haven't done our uh, standings look around yet. Might come up with a new name for that. So uh, back to to hockey to end off the show. Um, you got the you got your standings pulled up. Can't see. Uh. Yep. I do. All right. So All right. Uh, after the so starting at the uh, the Atlantic after the Leafs went on. Quite the hot streak. Lose a couple games, and all of a sudden they are 10th in the East again. The Panthers have leapfrogged them into third in the division. I would personally love to see a Florida-Tampa first-round series for the first time ever. Battle of uh, battle of the Florida teams. And that's uh, how it's lined up right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Florida's looking good. They've won four in a row. Uh, and we've talked about the least struggles recently. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I, why not Florida? I mean, they've had their goaltending problems. Uh, but it seems that they've been able to compensate for those. Uh, looking to the Atlantic, uh, it seems to be that uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, have hopped into a wildcard spot with four oh, wins yeah. in a row, and I think we can credit those to their, uh, their new starter after uh, Jonas Corpusello went down with an injury. Uh, Elvis Merzlikens has been absolutely red hot. I think he's had three shutouts in four games, uh, which mm-hmm. is absolutely preposterous. Uh, he's been on fire, uh, and so a Columbus team that we, I think we both predicted would be, uh, you know, near the basement of the Metro has is in, in fact, the playoff spot right now. Mm-hmm. I was I was going to shout out Elvis because um, after they were near the bottom of the East, and then Corpusalo got hurt, who had actually been one of the bright spots in the Blue Jackets, and Elvis at that point did not have very good numbers at all, and is uh, I think this is his first season in North America, or at least his first full season. And it was kind of like, all right, they're they're basically cooked now. But Elvis has uh, ro- risen, Rosen. What is what does he rise to the occasion? You get what I'm saying. And yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> and now they've suddenly gone on a hot on a heater. They're in a wild card spot now. And if they keep this up, they might even leap into a divisional spot soon in the Metro after after losing you know Panarin, Bobrovsky, everyone last summer. It's a pretty impressive run from the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, let's take a look at the team they've bumped out of the wildcard race in their division. Uh, I didn't even know this was happening, but uh, Carolina, uh, not mm. in a playoff spot. Uh, I, I heard Dougie Hamilton uh, is out long-term for them. That's a huge loss because he's he's an absolutely great defender. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, what's going on there with Carolina? They've lost three straight, and uh, they're sitting on the outside looking in right now, although they are very close. Yeah, they've been kind of, after a really hot start to the season, kind of been on the edge of the wild card race basically the entire time uh and now with Dougie Hamilton who's been their best defenseman uh possibly the most valuable player out uh long term I'm not exactly sure how long personally I don't think they're going to be able to make the playoffs I mean maybe they could get hot you know Ajo stretching the cop they definitely got tons of pieces but with the way Columbus has been trending and with, uh, you know, Philadelphia still ahead of them. And I don't think these struggles for the Maple Leafs are going to continue. It's a pretty rough competition for the Hurricanes coming up uh, in this stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just I, I personally didn't expect this at all. I thought Carolina was a lock for the playoffs. Uh, and to see them, uh, you know, maybe not make it, I think it's, personally, I think it's shocking. Uh, and uh, although they do have a game in hand, they're only one point behind Philly, uh, who is... Who also has uh, an injured goalie, by the way. Uh, Carter, Hout, uh, yeah. Carter Hart is out for the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, we'll see how they hold up. Uh, but yeah, Carolina, 
definitely a team to monitor uh, because they had high expectations going into the season, uh, and uh, they, especially after their torrid start uh, t- to begin, they are not in the playoff spot anymore. And uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. And at the bottom of the East, the 40-point watch continues. Every team now in the NHL has hit 40 points, except for the Red Wings, currently sit at 28 points, and they are on pace to finish with 47. So in terms of cracking the 40-point barrier, it's looking pretty good for the Red Wings right now. It's uh, any sort of small consolation prize for them. Yeah, uh, they've lost four in a row, however, so uh, if they can keep it up, uh, maybe we'll be uh, cracking open the 40-point uh, champagne bottle there. Uh, We'll, we'll we'll see. I'm uh you know I'm I'm all for the tech and uh yeah they just look I, I keep saying it over and over again this team would be horrible even worse than they are if they never played the Habs but uh, unfortunately they do yeah. and uh they're much better off for it. Uh so yeah moving on uh to the uh Western Conference I think we can start with the Pacific now sure. uh bunch of Canadian teams uh who are leading the Pacific right now. They have all the division spots uh, with Vancouver. I didn't even notice this. Vancouver is the first place team in their division uh, with the Oilers trailing and then the Flames third place. Uh, They're all within like one point of each other, 58, 57 points. Uh, Vegas also has 57 points. Uh, And so extremely tight race in the Pacific. And uh, wow, Vancouver's in first place. Yeah, but here's the, it's almost not even worth it to point out anything in the Pacific Division because tomorrow this these standings could be flipped completely upside down. Well, not not the whole division. Those five teams, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas, Arizona, 58, 57, 57, 57, 57 points. They're basically all tied for the top spot in the division. Uh, it's almost not even worth talking about because by next week, it's going to look totally different. Maybe they'll all still be basically tied or maybe there'll be a little more distance. Maybe Vancouver won't even... Be in a playoff spot anymore, even though they're first in the division right now with how crazy close it is. Earlier it was looking like the Atlantic was going to be the big tight race, but now it's obvious that the Pacific, with uh, how close all those spots are, that that's going to be the uh, the big story heading down the stretch. Even though actually those five teams are all in a playoff spot right now, and uh, yeah, they're all in a playoff spot right now, and it's looking like uh, that's how it's possibly going to end up. It's just you know where everyone lands, home ice advantage. Wild card crossovers, all those things. And uh, in the central, though, it's looking a lot simpler. Like uh, things are kind of shaping up. St. Louis has, we mentioned last week, pulled away, at least for now, first in the division. And Colorado and Dallas is looking like a very likely first round matchup. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if we're looking past those teams, uh, the potential, you know, just, just out of the playoffs, uh, I think we got like uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Hello. Uh, four wins in a row, and they've passed the uh, struggling a lot uh, Nashville Predators now, uh, who are now second last in their division. And so, uh, yeah, the Blackhawks have won four in a row. Uh, who is there? There's the guy. I know you picked him up on uh, on fantasy. You want to give him a little shout there? Oh, Dominic Kubalik. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he came over from Germany this summer. Kind of, uh, you know, uh, played on the third line, bottom six for a lot of the year. And Blackhawks got a couple injuries recently. And uh, he's been playing with uh, Taves, I think, on whatever line that is. And he's been on a uh, crazy odd streak. I picked him up for my Yahoo Fantasy team. You said, who is that? I have no idea who that is. He got three points last night against the Leafs and a crazy uh, bat-the-puck-out-of-mid-air goal from a few feet out. Uh, he's scoring tons of goals lately. Uh, good for him. Good for Dominic Kubelik, uh, you know, helping the Blackhawks charge up the Western Conference standings. 
Yeah, good for him. And uh, as you mentioned, I had absolutely no idea who this guy was. I'd never heard his name before uh, until he showed up. Uh, when you sent me a text, hey, look, I picked up uh, Kubalik uh, on my fantasy team. And I was like, yeah, and what the heck? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> this guy's been an absolute tour case. And uh, yeah, uh, Chicago, although they're probably not going to sniff the playoffs, uh, they're an interesting little stretch for them. Uh, nice little run. They've won seven of the last ten and four in a row. All right, very last thing to point out before uh, before we close off for this week. Uh, just wanted to take a minute to laugh at Brad Marchand's failed miserably shootout attempt from Monday night, which I'm sure you've seen by now. He just barely touched the top of the puck, moved forward a couple inches, stopped moving, and because the puck was put into motion and then stopped moving, the shootout attempt was over. Quite possibly the worst shootout attempt of all time. You know, if he had totally missed the puck, he would have been allowed to turn around and start again. But because he touched it, it was it was done. And the Boston Bruins lost the game on that play. So never miss a, an opportunity to laugh at Brad Marchand. Yeah, absolutely. And then he followed up, I think it was the next game, uh, where he had a wide-open breakaway, and uh, he choked. And uh, he, he lost control of the puck again. Uh, this time closer than that, but uh, he ended up in the corner. And so uh, he, he put out a tweet. Uh, let me just try to pull it up here. Basically, it was saying... Uh, you know, breaking, uh, I've, I've lost my hands. Uh, and if anybody finds them, uh, please just send them over to TD Garden. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a little self-awareness from Brad Marchand. Uh, but yeah, uh, a funny little stretch where uh, he's coughed up uh, two opportunities to pot one. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think that about wraps, that about wraps it up uh, for us today. Uh, anything else yep. you want to add? Uh, we should be back a week from today, January 26th. The Canadians will have played zero more games. They're on bye week, but I'm sure we'll have some stuff to talk about. Like uh, the All-Star game will have just happened the day before. So I suppose we'll be able to break that down and whatever else happens. Only the All right. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Google Play. Subscribe on iTunes. All right. All right, bye. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.